Welcome to episode eight of Booty and Bossy Eat, Drink, Knit. For this episode, we have a very special celebrity guest. She's our second celebrity guest, if we count mom as our first celebrity guest. So, Booty, would you like to introduce our second celebrity guest? This is Layla Pujol, who is a very close friend of mine, and she's an Ecuadorian food blogger. So, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, I feel very honored to be on your podcast. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan. That's very nice of you to say. And you didn't even have to say that just because you're Booty's friend. <laughs> no, I, I, I was I was telling Booty, like, whenever I listen to it, I feel like I'm part of the conversation. You know, I'm listening to you guys go back and forth, talking about the knitting and the ungrateful kids. I did have a friend, actually, who said, I feel like I'm in the kitchen with you guys, which was a great compliment. But anyway... Do you want to tell us, Layla, the story of how did you become a food blogger? Because I just, I think that's such an interesting path. Yeah. So when I first moved to the U.S. from Ecuador, I always miss the food food people. So I would start to kind of recreate some of these dishes, you know, at home. And back then it was always harder to find certain ingredients and spices, but I would try to manage them as close as I could to the original dishes and we would have people over for dinner and they would try Ecuadorian food a lot of people for the first time and they would usually ask me for the recipe so I would email it to them and my husband said well you know you should just put this on a website or a blog and so that's kind of how it got set up and it was originally more just for friends and in English and then all of a sudden people started coming to the blog and leaving comments. And a lot of people were upset that the recipes were in English and not in Spanish. And I was thinking, well, if you speak Spanish, if you're from Ecuador, you already know how to make these dishes, right? But it turns out that a lot of times you ask your mom, grandmother, neighbor for recipe, and they're like, you put a little bit of this, you put a little bit of that. Where And so when I was doing my recipes, I was documenting exactly precise quantities of how much was going into the dish. And so then I started translating it into Spanish. I mean, it was a hobby for, I would say, probably five to six years. And in fact, I kind of neglected it for like two, three years where I just didn't post anything and I was working full time. But then it kept growing to the point that then almost 10 years ago, I was like, well, I can actually do this full time instead of, you know, working my corporate job. I can actually do this, have flexibility, you know, have my own hours and really put time into growing it. Well, I think the other thing that I've noticed about your blog is that you not only give instructions on how to cook things and the exact quantities and everything, but also where to get the things that, so if you're from Ecuador and you're living in the United States, you might not have access to easily to the exact ingredients. So what you can substitute instead of the, like, for instance, I, I think you had tuna you could substitute for another fish mm. so things like that that are just just really helpful to to help guide people through the whole process plus the videos are amazing oh the videos are so bad and i i, <laughs> I need to start making them again but they're really bad no i mean they show you exactly what you need to do yeah, well, there's there. I don't have videos yet for everything, but just to give you like some background, on the videos when I started making them, my husband was helping me, and it's a good thing that you know we cut out all the actual sound and we just put some cheesy music on top, because if not, you would hear all the swearing. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah, you definitely when you watch them, you don't have any sense that there's anything but just blissful music you know while these things are just sort of magically happenings you, well now your secret's out but oh, um, yeah, yeah. But, if you can hear, hear the background on some of those i was like stop recording <laughs> like you need to well, zoom in on this well i i and i i have to say i completely know what you mean because <laughs> booty and i take pictures my husband usually does a better job of taking the pictures but one time I think it was for the marshmallow ones. I was like, okay, now I'm going to tap on the powdered sugar and I want you to take a picture while the powdered sugar is falling down so people can see. So it's like, okay, so we do that. And then I look at it and 
the bathroom door is open and the toilets in the back you know so it's like it's like powdered sugar with a toilet in the background, you know and we always have to take things like three times because mm -hmm. then we look and we realize oh well there's spatters of chocolate on the wall behind right. everything i mean all this stuff that you you don't even notice but yeah oh i had a totally newfound respect for what you do well also your pictures are amazing and the amount of time it takes to take millions of photos and making sure that you've got good light which is only available here in the pacific uh, northwest for like an hour a day <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah and, and you have to rush to make sure that your food is done by that specific yes. time because if you miss the window then no one is allowed to eat the finished dish until the next day at that time so you can get your photos exactly exactly because that that happened with the roll dough because mm -hmm. it you know you have to let it rise and everything and then I did not get up at five in the morning so <laughs> but your site it looks great all the food looks great I know all of your recipes are wonderful but if you had to identify a place to start especially for someone I mean and Booty already talked a little bit about how much we appreciate giving alternatives and things but maybe for someone who's not familiar with Ecuadorian cooking like what would that be like what would be a recipe to if you could only have one dish that was representative of what would be the best place to start or the most representative well, I, I think it's hard to choose one specific dish just because Ecuador has different regions and each region has their own traditional dishes. But I think a dish that would be fairly easy to make and give you introduction to maybe like some flavors that you haven't had before, just but still within you can find most of the ingredients if you want to try it for the first time is actually the potato patty dish that I made mm. for you oh, in Luxembourg. And, and, and normally it's... I don't make this dish for parties or things because you kind of want to make it at the moment. It's hard to make these. Well, they're easy to make, right? But making them for 10 people mm. at, at mm -hmm. the moment is, is is not the best. So I try to, that's why I, you probably have, did not have them before. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and so these are, you, you, these are, these are mashed potato patties and you do season the mashed potatoes with you fry up a little bit of onions and garlic and a spice called achote or anate, which gives it just a very slight like orange reddish tint. And you can find that now at most grocery stores or Mexican stores or even like online on Amazon. And if you don't have that, you can just omit it or you can just put a little bit of paprika in there as an alternative. And then you put cheese in the middle. Yeah. And then you cook them on the on a griddle until they're nice and crispy on each side. So they're they're very delicate. You have to be very careful mm -hmm. when you turn them. And then you serve them with sauces. So one of the classic sauces is it's like a, it's a peanut sauce and you can make it mild or you can it can be a little bit spicy and it has onions, cilantro in it. So you put the peanut sauce on top and then you also have what we call a curtido, which is a marinated tomato and onions and mm -hmm. lime with cilantro and then fried eggs. On top. So this is, and you can also have some little fried chorizos on the side, avocado, and then, you know, a homemade hot sauce like salsa. So that's, it has a lot of components, but it's kind of a nice little, like you can have a bite of the potato patty with avocado and the tomato onion salsa, or you can have it with the peanut sauce and a little bit of egg. So there are a lot of little components, but it's, they're all fairly easy to make. And I think it gives you like a good introduction to some of those Ecuadorian flavors. And this is actually a dish that is made both in the main highland region in Ecuador and also in the coastal area. But the sides and the sauces will vary slightly depending on where you order it. Mm -hmm. And everyone is like, no, 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 this is the right way. Like, you know, it has <laughs> to have this sauce. And other people are like, no, no, we don't serve it with that sauce. We serve it with this sauce. And I love all the sauces. So I just <laughs> put as many of the components <laughs> and do like a merger of everything. But it, it's it's great. And you can have it as a breakfast, as a main dish. Yeah, I had it as a breakfast. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And also, if you don't do the chorizo, it's vegetarian. So it's exactly, great. Yeah. yeah so mm -hmm. I'm going to make that with my daughter. Now, what kind of cheese is in the middle? So in Ecuador, we usually use a type of cheese called quesillo, which is a fresh cheese, almost like a farmer's cheese. And I guess the closest replacement here would probably be a mozzarella. 
the melty grated one or Monterey Jack would also work as well. Mm. Or the, the Ladysmith cheese we mm. got, that one is very, it reminds me a lot of the Ecuadorian one. But any cheese, or if you wanted it to be a little more, not just bland, melty cheese, you can mix it with queso fresco. So you can do a little mm. bit of grated mozzarella and queso fresco, and then it kind of gives it you know, a little texture and saltiness from the queso fresco, mm. and then the nice meltiness from the mm. mozzarella. Now, would that be something where you would have leftover mashed potatoes and this would be sort of something you could use the next day? You can do that. I think because the main difference is that we don't usually add, you know, milk or other things when we're making this one. It's just the potatoes and you mash them and you add in the sauteed onions, and but they're chopped very, very small, right? So you just add a little bit of, I guess, oil and then the cheese in the middle. But I have made it before with leftover mashed potatoes. They're just a little bit more delicate, uh, okay. And the other thing is that usually once you make the patties, if you make them, you have to let the you have to let the potatoes cool down. It has to be cold because if it's warm, it's just gonna it's just gonna splatter. You know, you're gonna end up with just a mess. Right, hash browns. <laughs> yeah. So you so it needs to be cold, but but it does work with leftover mashed potatoes. You could you could do that, or if you have just leftover boiled potatoes or baked potatoes, you could also then you know just peel them, mash them up, and use that as well. What sort of keeps the potatoes together? That's the thing is like, so the, in Ecuador, we have, of course, like thousands of varieties of potatoes. And the variety of potato you use for this is a type of potato that actually holds a little bit better together. When I first was making them, I tried the different, you know, russet, red potatoes and Yukon gold, kind of the main ones you find in the U.S. And I found that the russet potatoes were the best ones to use. But then over time, I realized I prefer the flavor of the Yukon golds. Mm. So now I make them more often with Yukon golds. They are a little bit more delicate. If you make them, you'll see when you flip them, they can kind of just all come apart, right? But the more you do it, the more you get the technique. And when you're cooking them on the griddle, you, I mean, you might want to just like lightly grease it, but you don't want any oil on there because that will also just cause them to fall apart. And when you say griddle, do you mean frying pan? I made them in the cast iron. Oh, okay. Like little rock. It's my quesadilla pan. Like the griddle mm-hmm. you make pancakes on. You know how oh, you have the big uh, flat right, top right, one right, 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 and right. you put the pancakes on, something yes. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. yeah. So smooth surface. Yeah, like a pancake type of making. I mean, you can do them in a, you can do them in a frying pan. You can do them in anything. It's just, it's easier if it's something that does, like, you know, when you go into flip something with a spatula, right. if you have the edges, sometimes it interferes. It interferes with how many you can put in the pan. Right. I go to all this work to make these look perfect and beautiful. And then I serve them to my son. And he just takes and mashes them all up, you know, with everything. And I'm like, did you know how long? Ungrateful this children. The theme of ungrateful children. Yeah, yes. good job. You know, that yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just looking Charles. at their, my work being destroyed, you know? Yeah. This is like potato pearls before swine. They just <laughs> suck them up like greedy little piggies. <laughs> that sounds delicious. I'm, well, wait, because I'm already imagining like, okay, can I make this tonight? About the peanut sauce, well, tell me more about that. And is it something that you you could kind of have it in the fridge and you could use it for other things? Yes. So there are a lot of ways to make the peanut sauce and there are a lot of versions of it. The original one, it would be with toasted peanuts, right? And you would blend them with milk or water to kind of make like a little paste kind of sauce base. And then in a pan, you would, again, saute a little bit of oil, some diced onions, a little bit of garlic, maybe some cumin, a little bit of achote maybe or not. And then you add that in there and you cook it. And then at the end, you would add in some chopped cilantro. And there's also a version where you add in chopped hard-boiled egg pieces into that. Yeah. It gives a little bit of texture. And then if you want a spicy version, you can either blend a hot pepper when you're blending the peanuts, or you can just dice it. You can add in some diced hot pepper as well. Or I mean, if you want to really, you can just like put in some Tabasco or Sriracha or, you know, stir it in as well. The easy version, you could also just take peanut butter, take some peanut butter and just dissolve it in some milk or water and then do the rest of the process as well. Right. You know, some people insist you have to have milk in the sauce. Other people say like, no, you don't need milk. You can just do it with water. So it's, it's, well, you could really just do it whatever is easiest or whatever you prefer to do. And this peanut sauce can also be used as a I mean, Ecuadorians love peanuts. There's a, there's a lot of peanuts and a lot of, and mo- most of the time, 
savory. I don't really think we use peanuts in anything sweet the way you do mm. in the U.S. It's mm. it's really just for savory dishes, and it's combined a lot of times with potato dishes, also with yuca or cassava root. You know, sometimes you just boil that and then you just put the peanut sauce on top of it. Mm. Green plantains and peanuts are also used together in a lot of dishes. So this particular peanut sauce, some people just serve it on top of boiled potatoes as well. Mm. Or we have another dish that's little pork skins, but they're mm. boiled and then they have that, they're kind of boiled and chopped up and then you have that mixed with potatoes. Mm. And my dad would do his own version of this. So he would take the peanut sauce and then he would add tuna fish to it. Oh. And then he would dice up either yuca or potatoes and mix it all together. It was like, it was his own invention, but it was so good. <laughs> you know, it sounds like every time, the few times that my mom would go on a girl's trip or leave us with him, like that was kind of his default dish, you know? <laughs> was it canned tuna fish? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I would not have put that together yeah oh uh, well, well so on my blog i have the traditional yapping gachos with the cheese and then i actually made a variation with the tuna filling in, in them as well like a separate recipe as oh, cheese you put like you know like you saute some tuna with you know onions bell peppers little spices and then you put those as a filling for the potatoes as well so that's a different variation mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the ecuadorian food had the peanuts in it that's yeah, it, is, that, is that a very big product grown in Ecuador? It, it is in fact in fact when I went back last time I went to visit one of my the mother of one of my friends she lives in Europe but her mom was there and I you know and I she was she's kind of like you know one of the second mothers I had many second mothers growing up you know there <laughs> all of my friends moms would adopt me and so I went to visit her and she actually gave me a bag of peanuts to bring back you know two actually one one was just plain peanuts that her someone in her family rose and some town she's like these are the best peanuts you know you have to take them back and then also another this actually this is the one sweet peanut treat peanuts with a sweet little crunchy topping around them mm-hmm. mm. they use this brown sugar called panela or piloncillo and call it in mexico and so you kind of make a little um you melt that down and then you put the peanuts in there um, yeah like peanut oh it's yeah. like a little bit like peanut brittle yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I was given peanuts to bring back. <laughs> were they the best peanuts? She's probably not going to listen. So, but <laughs> no, they, they, they were, they were definitely, they were definitely really good. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and in fact, this is another thing. Cause I remember we, we also have a soup that we make in my hometown, Loja, which is like made with green bananas and cheese. And it's really creamy. And I remember she was telling me that I guess there was some time when there was a shortage of cheese and dairy products. And so people would actually use ground peanuts as a replacement for the cheese in some of these dishes. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah, wild. I think it, it's funny, like Thai food mm-hmm. and Ecuadorian food. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and, and, and it's something like you don't, and it's not every single dish, but it is, you know, there is a theme, especially with certain things like, you know, you people do love peanuts. Yeah. And plantains. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting because other trying to just think in in the U.S. other than peanut butter, it's not used widely. And I would say it's more sweet, maybe. I mean, like I when you were saying that I was thinking of like, oh, there's the peanut butter cookies with the Hershey Kisses in the middle, like all the and the peanut brittle and all the sort of sweet stuff that we make. But I was having a hard time coming up with anything that was savory that we would use yeah i think of it as a thai yeah to put that's the only savory thing i think well actually in in mexican cuisine as well they do Mm. use peanuts in a lot of savory dishes as well like i've like they Mm. do have like a it's less popular less well known than their other salsas but they do have a spicy salsa with peanuts as well and then they use it also like similar in Ecuador we have like some dishes that are you know almost like a stew that has peanuts in the sauce right and they have some similar versions theirs of course are a lot spicier and these are not your most popular traditional dishes right they're kind of lesser Mm -hmm. known but but they they do exist my husband objects to peanut butter but he does like peanut sauces Mm -hmm. as a savory thing Mm -hmm. so I'm thinking it's probably the sugar in the peanut butter that he's Yeah, because our peanut butter does have, I mean, I have had peanut butter in other countries. I remember having it in Spain and it it didn't have any of the sugar and it was, well, tasted like peanuts, but 
Right, right. Of course, it tastes like peanuts and sugar, which is maybe why it's we're used to it being sweet. And (laughs) and yes, and if you use store-bought peanut butter for any of these recipes, always make sure it's the kind that doesn't have any sugar. Like, I learned that Mm. the hard way. Like, you look at the ingredients and, like, just pure peanuts, no, maybe salt is fine, but no sugar. Right. Because that will ruin, that will ruin. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think that that's that's like we've hit on sort of a major cultural difference and i could see going out thinking you could use your bottle of skippy and being like oh <laughs> this is not <laughs> this is not what layla said it was going to be <laughs> we were going to ask you sort of what are the key ingredients so clearly peanuts but what would be the things that you would always have on hand for most of your dishes yeah, so peanuts are one of the things. And then plantains, green plantains and ripe plantains are used in a lot of dishes. So I almost always have plantains, limes, mm-hmm. cilantro. Potatoes are also just used a lot as well, like lots of different dishes with potatoes. And, you know, they're good to have in hand. Rice is a huge, usually side dish, sometimes part of a main dish. Let's see what else. And then a lot of seafood as well, like fish, seafood. And at least when I lived here, I would always have the, the Costco mixed seafood frozen packs or I would always have something like that in the freezer because it's just if I feel like making something, I can just use that. Of course, if I plan better, I get fresh seafood, mm-hmm. right? But what, what is this word planning? well in my case if i was planning to make a specific recipe you know and then right right. but yes what else um spicy peppers i mean ecuadorian food in general is not spicy itself like we don't put a lot of spice directly in the food but we always serve it with a hot sauce on the side that way the people that do want some spice they'll add them you add the amount that you want to your dish oh that's interesting yeah what would you say, because you talked about this at the beginning, but I'd like to hear more about it. What would you say is your favorite food memory from growing up? A lot of my memories are associated <laughs> with food. One, one memory I think that was just really fun, and now when I look back, I feel it's very unique, is we would do these things with groups of friends, usually like on a weekend. And the Ecuadorian word for, for it is, is boda, which also means a wedding. Mm-hmm. like a wedding party and so I, I don't know why it was called a boda you know when it was there's no marriage or romantic any components involved but the idea is that you would go to a spot close to where you lived or if you were in another town you would go to close to a river and somehow people would always have cooking utensils with them right so you would on the banks of the river you would set up some rocks and then you would set up you would start a little fire and then you would bring out a pot people would bring chicken and you'd basically make a chicken stew and oh, and you would bring beer for the chicken stew and also for drinking. <laughs> and then the beer, I didn't drink the beer when I was little. That was more when I was older. <laughs> and then to keep the river, the water in the river is usually very cold. So you keep the, the bottles of beer in the cold mm-hmm. water as your little mini, mini refrigerator. And so, you know, you would sit around and talk and tell stories while the food was cooking. People would make, you would make like rice on these little things. Like mm. I was really impressed with the amount of, now when I look back, I'm like, how do you cook on this impromptu little setup? And the other thing that I love that we would always make is we would make these little sweets called alfeñiques, which you would take this block of this brown cane sugar and then you would melt it, you know, until it get, got to a candy point, right? Mm. And then at that point you'd dump this mix onto a rock you know you kind of clean the rock a little bit before right <laughs> and then you have to do it while it's hot and like my sister's actually really good at this and then you knead it a little bit you know mm-hmm. and then you like twist it and then you start like, breaking off little pieces of it little little caramels little candies and sometimes you add ground peanuts to it as well <laughs> wow. yeah. Yeah, the peanuts. yeah um <laughs> and so like that it was just, it was like the whole experience like you, you everything was going on and then of course you had the like delicious chicken and rice and mm-hmm. i and i swear like the food cooked you know in those little wood burning right. fireplaces there was just always so good and it was so simple but just perfect mm. it sounds delicious yeah that kind of reminds me of when we were growing up and I don't know if you'll remember this booty, but I don't know where mom was, but dad took us up and we had a VW microbus with a camper thing. One Saturday or Sunday, he took us up and he made us breakfast up near Horsetooth in Colorado. 
I just remember how good everything tasted mm -hmm. being outside. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the sort of principle behind dining al fresco, but there's just, there's something about food being cooked. I was thinking of our camping trips to the Poconos and somebody came up with the idea of the putting the watermelon in the in the water that was cold mm -hmm. and well and also making a slit and putting in vodka or something oh. like that but it's but just like the really cold mm -hmm. water I mean it just tasted so good I totally could relate to and this is for mom our only listener we should stop saying that because I do know that there are other people yes. listening but maybe <laughs> she's our first listener I remember we used to talk about that like it was something that dad did every weekend right <laughs> and she'd be like one weekend one time he did that you know but we'd be like remember when dad used to take us up and yeah there is just something about those childhood memories of just the super fresh food and everybody's being around together and yeah no yeah That's i mean it sounds so ideal to be growing up in this ecuadorian town but you have all the nature and the did you want to talk about washing your clothes in the river? Oh my, God. <laughs> my mom had a small business with actually food products right so she always there's always people in the house helping with stuff and and I for a while I just I kind of they would you know they would just do the laundry as well and then when I was about seven or eight my mom was like you know you need to learn to be responsible so from now on you're going to do your own laundry and so you could kind of like wash in a tub at the house or you could go down to the river, right? And do it at the river and then you wash it there and then you go hang it up and let it dry. So I was very lazy. And so I would wait until all of my clothes were dirty. And then I would just, I would take them down and I'd put them all on. And then I would just jump in the river with all my clothes on, you know, and then I'd <laughs> soap them off. And then I'd like start taking them off and rinsing them. <laughs> and... So actually, because I was so lazy and this was my method and I would just wait till literally I had nothing to wear to do this. When I was you know, like eight or nine, my brothers burned down our house. They what? actually burned down the house. I, I came to school and the house was just like burnt. It was gone. It was kind of traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> now look back, you know, we can laugh about it. But because I had just done my laundry the day before, I was the only one who had, you know, <laughs> clothes. They were still out drying. <laughs> I love that. I, I don't know. I think that's kind of, that's the, that, I don't know. I think, Lou, that sort of defines the lazy genius kind of thing. Right. Uh, it's not know, lazy. It's out. efficient. It's well, you know, there's a little bit of exactly like you know you just do it all at once it's it is more efficient than having to do it you know don't tell my daughter i said that <laughs> she's gonna yeah. she's gonna just go jump in the lake with all her clothes on <laughs> no i love that story well not the burning your house part but yeah. you know i was reading in your blog and i love i love how you have my story and then it said for more <laughs> I had to click that because I was like, oh, well, wait, you know, this is just the overview. But I was a little confused because you you talked about growing up in Ecuador, but then you mentioned that your mom was lived in New Mexico and then you moved to Ecuador, but then your grandmother was from Louisiana. So how so, did all okay? So I was born in Ecuador and my parents have lived there since the 70s so they actually i don't know if you know the story they, yeah. they they were hippies back in the 60s 70s and they traveled separately to, first to colombia because supposedly you're going to have this it was a perfect place to view some comet that was coming by and so they came separately with the, each with their group of friends and they ended up they met in colombia and then they decided to travel together so they went to ecuador and they just they fell in love with ecuador and they, they decided to just stay there well, and they fell in love with each other. Oh, yeah, they fell in love with each other. And, you know, yes, yes, yes. And I like Ecuador. Were, were, they, were they traveling in a VW bus? Because I'm picturing them in a VW I don't, bus. No, no, they, they weren't. Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> My dad was from Texas with his parents from Louisiana originally. And then my mom, I think she was born in Colorado and went to college there, but she grew up in New Mexico. 
Oh, wow. What oh, college did where she did she go to college? I think University of Colorado Boulder. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. We yeah. have family there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So that's the background. That's why, you know, it was always a mix of my mom was always trying to make Mexican food in Ecuador, with, which at the time was a challenge because, you know, you couldn't find the chilies or she had to make everything from scratch. Tortillas, everything was made from scratch. And I would guess our household was the one who introduced all of my friends to the first tastes of Mexican food. I mean, probably more new Mexican food, you know, like enchiladas, burritos, all of those things were. Yeah, I know. My husband and I were having this conversation the other night. Well, because, you know, now that our son's gone to college, we, we have to find topics to... <laughs> <laughs> like conversation cards would probably be good but that could be a whole thing conversation cards for once you're you have an emptiness but we were debating about if there was one cuisine if you could only have that one cuisine and he said Italian and I actually said Mexican because I feel like that's my go-to place and I feel like there's more variety I don't know he he debated that point with me but <laughs> it's because, a good topic yeah but um yeah I, I yeah. would agree I would agree I mean I love Italian food but I would agree that I think you just have more right. diversity with Mexican food yeah, yeah. what about you buddy yeah I have to say it would definitely be Mexican over Italian I was thinking well what about for dessert because that's the most important part. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, but, but then you've got the dulce de leche. De leche. But in, in Mexico, they call it cajeta. Okay. That's, but, and they make it with goat milk. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 So but, you're but, saved. Yeah. I mean, but you have a lot of similar desserts across, I guess, Spain and Latin America, right? So you would have mm. tres leches, you know. Exactly. Um, so. You would have arroz con leche, you know, rice mm. pudding. Yeah. All, all the Mexican pastries, the conchas, and there's a lot of good stuff. Well, and the hot chocolate with oh, the yeah. chocolate. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was thinking, that's the other thing I was thinking, like coffee, chocolate, and it would, yeah. I mean, in fact, if you think of it, Italians have actually taken a lot of ingredients from mm -hmm. Mexico and Latin America that did not exist in their cuisine, I don't know, 600 years ago, right? So, right, like the potatoes with the gnocchi and even tomatoes came from Latin America, right? So yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of things like, how did they make tiramisu before? <laughs> <laughs> Let the record reflect, not that he's going to listen, that it was three against one. Uh, uh, yes. Um, and and I, I hope our friend Rosanna is not listening to us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she might be offended. Yes. Well, she yeah. makes an amazing tiramisu. <laughs> um, and actually, I had one other question. What Can you tell me more about what, What's a tomato tree? Oh, the tree tomato. The tree tomato. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's a fruit and it I mean it looks kind of like a little elongated maybe Roma tomato, so it's in the tomato family. It's, it's more tart than sweet. And we use it both for savory and sweet dishes. So you okay. can so the one of the easiest is just like you make a smoothie with it, right? But then one of the best uses of it is to make a hot sauce. You know, so you blend it, you strain out the seeds, and then you you blend it with the hot pepper and sometimes a little bit of oil if you want to get it a little extra creamy. And then you can add in some onions and cilantro, a little bit of lime juice, salt, and it's just and you can make it as mild or as spicy as you want. Usually it's it's more on the mild side, so that you can, you know, eat a lot of it on top <laughs> of your food. And it's such a good sauce. It's one of my favorites. And then on the sweet side, you can actually take the whole tomatoes and you just peel them and then you cook them in a syrup with spices and brown sugar or just regular sugar. And I think you can also make ice cream out of it. But the, the hot sauce is really the most popular and you can now find them. So it's interesting because this is a very like Ecuadorian fruit. And I don't know the exact story, but at some point, I guess they started growing them in New Zealand. And in New Zealand, they call them tamarillo, which don't be confused with tomatillo. A lot of people mm. use tomatillo, tamarillo. And so the times that I've been able to find the fresh fruit in the U.S., it's usually under the name of tamarillo, and they all come from New Zealand. Oh. 
I think I have seen those in our groceries uh, now that you say that. Yeah. Well, why did they call it a tree tomato? Tomatoes here, you know, they're vine. Mm -hmm. Well, it grows on more of a more yeah. of a like a small tree. Like a woody. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. So it it, it does oh, grow okay. on a tree. So it does it, it does have more of that. I mean, since we have some local listeners, would mm -hmm. would you find that at Iwajimaya or Iwajimaya has them occasionally? I feel like one time I saw them at the QFC in the U Village, mm. and but but however, at the at the Latin grocery stores, you can usually find the frozen pulp, mm. and oh. so for the hot sauce, it's a lot of times I would just use the frozen pulp, mm. and because the frozen pulp. I guess it's not as thick as if you had the fruit itself, if you blend mm -hmm. it yourself. That's when, when I blend it, I do add a little bit of oil into there to kind of give it like that more thickening kind of creamy consistency. I'm going to have to look for that. Well, thank you. All of these references will be on the show notes. Uh, if I can figure out how to spell things, I'll text you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had one more question. If you have a last minute guest what would you serve five o'clock booty has announced that she's just going to come over to your house right you know be like hey with expectations <laughs> of dinner. well i i when i was originally going to say like if someone you know, usually i invite people in advance with notice and plan things right and then my husband is more like oh i've invited so-and-so for dinner and i'm like well you know then you're cooking yeah <laughs> but, thinking of the things that I would have on hand, right? So if I had some frozen seafood and I had rice, I might do like a rice with seafood kind of dish, like a like the Ecuadorian cousin to a paella type of, mm. you know, something like that. Mm. If I had potatoes, I could make the this Ecuadorian potato soup called locro de papas. Um, I think you can always, if there's time to like run to the grocery store, I could always like get some shrimp and make a ceviche. Mm. I love your ceviche and, and it's true. You don't have to refrigerate it that long. Mm -hmm. It's an hour. Yeah. I mean, even 30 minutes, you can mm -hmm. even just make it and serve it at the moment. I think it tastes better if you let it marinate it and the flavors kind of, you know, mm -hmm. come together a little bit better. But if you don't have a ton of time, it still works. And I guess you could do like a full meal, you know, with like a starter and a main thing. But sometimes I also just like to do like a selection of more like appetizers, right? So you could do ceviche, mm -hmm. you could do the yuca bread. Like some, whenever I make the yuca bread, it's kind of the Ecuadorian version of the Brazilian palo de queijo. I usually keep some extras in the freezer. So I, you know, and then they're easy to just throw in the oven. That's how I started making mm -hmm. your dishes is with the yuca bread, because mm -hmm. it it's just so smooth and cheesy it's really really good Not ever, i mean the first time i had it was when i came out in booty you made it so so just give us a quick overview of the yuca bread because it was not something that i'd had before so i'm thinking our other three listeners might not have <laughs> had it yeah so it's really yeah. it's really easy to make and it's basically just grated cheese you can use again mozzarella or a mix of mozzarella and queso fresco and really, you can use different cheeses. It's just the flavor will change slightly depending. Like if, you know, I've had to make it in France before using um, Emmental. And so then it has a more rich kind of, you can taste the cheese in it. Whereas if you use mozzarella and queso fresco, it's a little more neutral. That's the main ingredient, right? And then the other ingredient, which gives it that nice little kind of smooth texture is tapioca starch, which is actually made from yuca or cassava, right? So it's the starchy part of the yuca. And now you can find that everywhere, right? You know, like it used to be that I could only get it at the Latin store. And now any supermarket will have the Bob's Red Mill, like right. tapioca starch, right? And then you add eggs and butter and a little bit of water or milk and just, you just mix it all together. And, you know, kind of just, it comes together as a dough really quickly. It's very easy to do by hand, but you can also just make it in the food processor as well, if you don't want to deal with, you know, mixing it yourself. I don't have a food processor, but I like to do it by hand anyway, because if I had a food processor, I'd have to wash all the parts. True. That, that, that is true. That is true. I used, I used to, you know, it's always a debate. Do I get my hands sticky or do I just, you know, do that, but then have to wash the food processor. So it, exactly. it works either way. And then you make little balls with the dough and then you bake. And then variations that you can do is you can cut up little bits of chorizo and like mix in chorizo. And oh, I did it with like little bits of jalapeno the other day, mm. like cut up jalapenos mm. and put them in there. It was so good. 
You can also put like a little piece of guava paste in the middle for kind of like mm. sweet and salty variation. And then the other thing, and I think this recipe is in the book and obviously on the blog as well, is you make a thicker patty and then you put it in a waffle griddle. And so then you have like a yuca bread waffle mm. that you can put like an egg on it, some smoked salmon, avocado, or if you're going to do a sweet variation, you would then put like some guava sauce on top of it, dulce de leche, <laughs> Nutella. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nutella. Yes. Yeah. Bossy mm. likes Nutella. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like Nutella, yeah. And the other, just again, I ceviche wasn't, I, it was kind of something that I used to see on menus and I'd think, I don't know that I want well, to. Yeah. Well, I think there are a lot of different types of ceviche. Yeah. So I, th- I think yeah. the general like ceviche that everyone thinks of is a fish ceviche, right? Or like, some mixed seafood. And those are definitely the most popular ones. And you think of the lime juice cooks the fish or the seafood. And that's not, that is true. Like if you're making a fish one, you do use raw fish and the lime cooks it, right? But octopus, you're not going to ever get octopus to cook in lime juice, right? So you have to cook the octopus first and it's just more marinating in the lime juice. Shrimp could be either way. You could like chop them and cook them in the lime juice. In Ecuador, for some reason, we use poached or pre-cooked shrimp for the ceviche. I think it's just, it's faster. It's probably safer. And then in Ecuador, ceviche is not just made with seafood, right? We actually have, like, there's actually a chicken ceviche, but actually not cooked in the lime, you know, poached chicken, and then mm. you use other components for it. There's a region that's actually like close to where I grew up and they make what, they make it with meat as well. Mm. So there's like a meat ceviche and then there's a ton of vegetarian ceviche options. So we have these beans that are similar to lupini beans. We call them chochos and we use those and in spain chocho means something very inappropriate (laughs) but in ecuador it means this bean we make the ceviche with a bean with these lupini beans you can also have it like with mangoes with hearts of palms i mean ceviche is more than just fish there's so many different options and in peru ceviche has its own style they used to do a longer cook time with the fish one. And now they've kind of gone more towards the with the Japanese influence. You know, it's just very, maybe like 10, 15 minutes, but you use the best quality fish, right? So it's just 10, 15 minutes and a lot of spicy peppers. And there's, mm-hmm. and they never put tomato. Like they get so offended that our Ecuadorian ceviche has tomato in it. They're like, why would you put tomato? And I'm like, why would you serve yours with sweet potato? That's weird. And they're like, no, you're weird. <laughs> so there's variations. You know, I think when we were in... Cuba, like the Caribbean, they have like a different variation of ceviche. Mm. Mexico has, you know, their one that's more brothy and tomato based. And then they also have the aguachile, which is more like spice, you know, like blended like serrano peppers. I mean, it's very interesting. It's just, you know, there's so many options when it comes to ceviche. It's kind of like a generic term for something that's marinated in lime juice. Does it really refer more to the process or the ingredient, would you say? Maybe the process and then kind of that fresh citrus. It's sort of like coming. fresh pickling, huh? It, it It is a little bit like that. And, and it's interesting because actually bef- before the Spaniards colonized or conquered Latin America, there are records that show they were, they were making ceviche in Peru, but they were actually using a fruit called tumbo, which is a relative to a passion fruit. So they were mm. curing the fish with this other citrusy fruit, but it wasn't, it doesn't have, it's not as acidic as lime, right? So it must have either taken longer or maybe it was just for flavor, but that using limes and ceviche was not, didn't happen until the Spaniards came over. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I, I feel like I learned so much. Booty, did you learn anything? I did. I learned a lot. I did not know that about the limes. Thank you. Yeah. This, this has been great. And so appreciate you taking the time. Booty, were we going to do a quick update? So, Booty, what, what, what are you? I have a couple of updates. Not much progress on my Musselberg hat. I have to say that the the yarn is fun because it changes, so oh, it keeps yeah. you going. When I bought that, I I like the colors. Yes, and now that you're seeing it, I still like the colors. Yes, it's, we've got some greens, blues, purples. One of those, the color shifting is really cool. And then on my knit along, the Bretzel cardigan, 
I finished the body and mm. I haven't steaked it yet. I'm going to, I guess you're supposed to say that you cut the steak. The steak is just the extra stitches in the front. And then you cut up the middle to make it into a cardigan. So I think I'm going to knit the sleeves first, but I had to put it on hold because I'm doing a test knit for Marie Green. So oh, tell us about that. So when you're testing, are you not allowed to say anything? <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you what the pattern is, but I can tell you that it's for a mystery knit along. This is the first time I've ever test knit something. So that was a learning experience. I have to keep on top of it because there's a deadline. When you're test knitting, you can't just take six months or a year or whatever, because they actually want to put out the pattern. This is why they're not asking me to be a test knitter. <laughs> Given that it took me two years for the last knit along because I got stuck on Sleeve Island. <laughs> I'll be curious to hear how that, speaking of being stuck on Sleeve Island, I'm, I'm still working on the arpeggio and oh my God, it, well, I think I told you it. So one row is 266 stitches and I feel like it takes me forever to do one row because it's 266 stitches so <laughs> the whole time I'm like I'm really not very fast at this and then I'll do like four rows and I'll be like well that's over a thousand stitches exactly you know? yeah, yeah death by a thousand stitches stitches <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I do have one important bit of news. We we could cue the trumpet, you know. She's much better. The KitchenAid mixer is fixed. You can order the fuse. So here's what you do. You break your KitchenAid mixer. Step one. (laughs) Step one. (laughs) Break your KitchenAid mixer on Christmas Day because you're trying to make too much roll dough in it then announce to everybody that you've broken your KitchenAid mixer and they should be very concerned because this will have direct impact on the quality of their lives <laughs> have everyone that you've announced it to do nothing because <laughs> while they bemoan the situation they're not actually willing to do anything and then you keep dropping lead brick hints mm. to your husband like did you look on YouTube to see how you can fix my KitchenAid mixer? Did you, did you do? And then, and then you can even send him, then you yourself in desperation can look on Amazon and discover that there are these little fuses, but you're not sure, are they the right ones? So then you just keep sending him and saying, did you order those? Did you went? And then, and then eventually after two months, because this dates back from, Christmas Day, literally, he will order it mm-hmm. and fix it. Yay! So that that is the well, process. I looked into it too, and I thought it would be pretty easy to figure out which one. And it wasn't straight. So he looked at a video on YouTube, and then he figured out which fuse he had to get. I think he opened it up, and it was somehow obvious that it was this one fuse because I remember he did that pretty quickly and he took it out and then it sat there in the bowl of the KitchenAid mixer (laughs) with various descriptions like this kind of fuse and stuff but it was kind of like ceviche it just needed to marinate (laughs) in the bowl with nothing being done about it until it got to you know sort of this critical point the, the tipping, what Malcolm Gladwell will call the tipping point, you know, <laughs> we've achieved the tipping point. So, I feel like this yeah. is the most philosophical repair to a KitchenAid mixer. <laughs> but we will include what he did, at least the part. I do have to say, because a lot of people after I shared the tragedy, the disaster, as mom mm-hmm. would say, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, I broke my KitchenAid mixer, too. If you can just replace the fuse and not the whole thing. I think it does depend on what model you have, because apparently there are some models that the fuse will purposely kind of separate 
and then once it cools down, it'll go back together. And so if you just let it cool down, it will fix itself. Mine was not that kind. This is way more than anyone wanted to know. But like I said, a lot of people have broken their kidney. Yeah, no, I think it's useful too. So can I just let the record reflect that I'm not the only appliance abuser in the world right comes to KitchenAid next yeah I did have a blender that started almost smoking or smelling like smoke and then I just I turned it off and I was like it's probably done but then the next time I used it it was fine yeah sometimes that happens Mm -hmm. and that's that's the tipping point thing again (laughs) I have learned that when you start to smell something burning (laughs) it it is an appliance that it's generally (laughs) what I used to do was turn it up I would turn it up. Quick, finish what it's doing before it breaks. That that was my thinking. I thought maybe you thought it was going to like burn off or like there was food that. Oh gosh. I've now learned that you turn it off. Say a little. I think I should have a little shrine in the house. You know how the Romans had like the household gods. There should be a little appliance shrine, and I should put some fuses there. That's a good idea. You don't want the whole light a candle. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have enough room for all the appliances. You just want to use. I I could, yeah, I could maybe burn some owner's manuals there because we we never seem to be able to find the owner's manual. So maybe if I burn them at the shrine for the broken appliances, that would help. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. I did also read that Michelle Obama broke her toaster making Pop-Tarts. So you're not the only one and you're in good company. I know if anything that if Michelle Obama and I can be in the same sentence, I, my life is complete. I think we've sort of come to the end. Thank you again so much, Layla. I just really enjoyed this. So, so whatever you do, you do. don't, don't knit, knit like my, my sister. sister. Ooh, I think we were sort of in sync on the end there. <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. For show notes and more, you can go to our website, bootyandbossy.com, where you'll find links to all of the recipes that we discussed. And they can also be found on Layla's blog, which is laylita.com. And Layla has also contributed to a cookbook, Yo Cucino Latino, which is available from Books and Books in Miami. It is in Spanish, but it's an excellent book with great variety of recipes from various contributors. Who are all women. Who are all women, yes. Which makes it even better. (laughs) Yeah.